we're switching on the, the fly here, so I hope you'll forgive us. Uh, first thing I wanted to do this morning was just recognize someone. Um, uh, if We've got Josh Burke over here, and Josh Burke is a professional sound technician. <laughs> Off mic. <laughs> uh, Josh is, is really, a, he's a professional sound technician and probably the best sound guy in, in all of Central Oregon and beyond, and he gets up every Sunday morning uh, before 7 o'clock in the morning to be here, uh, 6.58 is when he gets up, uh, to be here and run sound for us, and, and we're lucky to have him. It's kind of a, a privilege. It's, it's nice to, uh, that he's doing that. So if you get the chance, introduce yourself to Josh and thank Josh and tell him how great he's doing, and uh, if the music's too loud, just sit further up. If it's not loud enough, just sit <laughs> further in. Um, but yeah, I want to recognize Josh, and then this morning, uh, I'll, I'll tell you where I got the inspiration for the message. Uh, our offices um, are, are uh, south of town, across from the Wendy's uh, on the south of town. Do you have that little clip thing? I'll get it when halfway through. Um, and, uh, and so we're in the office building. If you've ever seen Butler Market, it's like a gas station attached to a building uh, right next to Trade and Tools. And we're in that building, and there's, uh, there's one um, bathroom for the building. And somebody, there's a, there's a church, I, I don't know what the name of it is, that, that's on the other side. And, and they always, someone always leaves stuff uh, in the bathroom, the men's bathroom. Um, it's, you know, to pass the time kind of stuff. And, uh, and so I was in there, and, and I saw this, and... And it's, it's an art, it's, it was open to this article, this magazine, and, and it's the top 10 reasons why I don't celebrate Christmas. And I, I read that and I was like, you know, if that doesn't just say it all, you know, and, and I started reading it and I just, I just got inspired and I said, you know, we need to do a sermon called Let's Not Be Weird, okay? And so this morning we're going to do a sermon uh, called Let's Not Be Weird as Christians, um, and we'll just start by kind of going through this a little bit. Um, the magazine uh, goes at Christmas, and if you don't celebrate Christmas, that's fine. I, hopefully what you'll get from this morning is uh, that in, in small things, you know, whatever you want to do, it's fine. If you want to celebrate Christmas, fine. If you don't want to celebrate Christmas, fine. Um, but let's have reasons for doing it, etc. But one of the things is Christmas is worshiping God in vain. Um, and I would just say, well, um, it's a heart thing. You know, I think there's people that celebrate Christmas that aren't worshiping anything, and then there's people that can celebrate Christmas and truly try and give and do that as unto the Lord, and whatever you do, if it's done as unto the Lord, that is worship, and so I think there's a way we can do that, and then several of these other things talk about Christian or Christmas being a a pagan holiday, and so I just want to take two of my biggest pet peeves um, with the Christmas uh, season kind of issues and just try and um, unrattle them a little bit. The first one is, is the whole Xmas thing, and there's a big campaign out there um, to put Christ back into Christmas, and that's the, the Greek word for Christ. It's Christos, um, and the Greek word for Christ begins with the Greek letter uh, key, or if you were in a fraternity, you probably said uh, Kai, and that's transliterated into the English language with a CH. So in Greek, it looks like an X, 
And when it comes into the English language, it's a CH, and that's where we get Christ. Um, now, if you show the next slide, uh, the, the X, um, the Greek chi, has always, or, or historically, always been shorthand for the name Christ. And so this is from Wikipedia, just so you, you guys can know I wasn't making it up. Uh, the word Christ and its compounds, including Christmas, have been abbreviated for at least the past thousand years, long before the modern Xmas was commonly used. Christ was often written as Kai Rho or Kai Tau. Uh, the Rho is the R uh, in Christ. The Greek Rho looks like a P. And then um, the T would be, obviously, the last. The Tau would be the last letter in Christ's name. Um, and so it's often been abbreviated by those. And there are references all the way back uh, as late as 1021 A.D., and so uh, the whole put Christ back into Christmas, sure, there's people that are maybe abbreviating it for that purpose of trying to kind of play with the word Christmas, but I don't think we need to, to get on a, a crusade about that um, for a thousand years that's been acceptable in the Christian faith to abbreviate Christ with, with X, the Greek Chi. Um, the second thing is just the Christmas tree, and, and I hear a lot lately, um, the last couple of years, just about the pagan origins of, of the Christmas tree. And kind of the history of the Christmas tree, real quick, is St. Boniface, who was kind of the apostle to the Germans back in the, the 700s, was the first one to take the pine tree and make it a Christian symbol. And what he, he did is he went up, and in the Germanic tribes there, uh, there were a lot of pagans, and they worshipped the oak tree. They, they worshipped it. And he chopped it down, and uh, and it was kind of one of those... Elijah kind of things, I'm going to chop this tree down, and if there really is a God of the oak tree, um, he'll, he'll deal ever so harshly with me. And so he chops down the oak tree, nothing happened, and, and people realized they shouldn't have been worshiping the oak tree. And he took the, the pine tree and said it's a symbol because of the triangular shape of the Trinity. And he said, you know, this, this is a, a good symbol uh, of Christianity. It wasn't until the, the 16th century, also in Germany, the Protestants um, actually brought the Christmas tree into the home. And Martin Luther is actually credited um, in, in tradition with being the first one to put lights on the Christmas tree. Uh, he was walking home, meditating on the Psalms, and looking at the stars in the sky and thought, wouldn't it be neat to put lights on the tree? And that's kind of how the tradition goes. But so the pagan thing, the pagan idea behind it, um, evergreen boughs were, were, were used in pagan rituals. Um, the, the green was a symbol of um, life was about to come back after winter solstice, things like that. And so there's, there's, back in a pagan era, there was a lot of pagan symbols. Um, the tree specifically was not brought into the home, not you know, worshipped as such, the pine tree. And I just want to say <clears throat> there was uh, a lot of pagans that worshipped the sun and the sun god. And I've never walked into someone's house yet and found that they have a ban on sunset pictures. Okay? Um, just because somebody has treated something wrongly or worshipped something uh, doesn't mean that that thing is now null and void. It has no positive value to it. You can't use it for anything else. And so just because pagans worshipped trees doesn't mean that we're worshipping a tree if we bring a tree in uh, and celebrate Christmas. Uh, I've got... Two pictures of myself that I, uh, oh, actually, hold on before I do that. Our tradition, I, I should have brought in the picture, 
but our tradition of uh, the Christmas tree is really just um, us following the royals in England, which not much has changed, right? Uh, so Queen Victoria and her husband, or yeah, her husband brought it in. There's actually like a little black and white sketch that showed up in a, in a paper in England of them with their Christmas tree, and he was German, thus the Christmas tree, and it really kind of spread because everybody follows suit. So that's kind of where the modern version of the Christmas tree kind of comes from. Uh, but I dug up these two pictures of myself. Um, that's me in, in Holland with the Christmas tree in the background. And then there's another one of me in Holland with the Christmas tree in the background. And uh, I've had coming up on 34 Christmases now, and I can tell you one thing for certain. I have never worshipped the Christmas tree. Okay, I might have worshipped the Legos. There's a lot that might have been going on there that shouldn't have been going on. But... But I've never worshipped the Christmas tree. And so the whole idea of, um, you know, in here of, of let's just uh, rain on the Christmas parade because there's pagan history, um, I, I just can't, I can't go there. If someone goes there, that's all right. But I don't like the campaign, you know, to, to stamp out Christmas um, as if, you know, we're, we're doing kind of God a favor by doing that. Here's the verse that I kind of am... I'm hinging off of, and if you turn to Corinthians, you can read along with me, but in Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23, Paul's talking to the church at Corinth about um, this thing called speaking in tongues, and if you don't know what speaking in tongues is, it's speaking in a different language, um, that, that God has, has given you the ability to speak in a different language, and Paul's saying these people uh, that are doing this, here's what's going to happen if, if in your church gathering, everybody just starts speaking in a different language. And he says this in verse 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Okay? And he says, so don't do that. Because if you do that, if, if you have chaos kind of going on and an outsider comes in and kind of just looks in, stands over there and looks in, they're going to think you're crazy. And Paul's argument here is basically hinging on this. He doesn't think it's good for people to think that we're crazy. Okay? Paul is, is assuming that, that we're all going to understand the logic here. It's not good for people to think that we're weird. If we can help it. And so um, that's kind of where I'm at is just uh, the church or the, the world or, or culture, um, 95% because of TBN, uh, thinks that we're freaks if we believe in Christ and we go to church. And it's not a good thing. There's only one thing that Christ gave us that's weird, or, uh, that's weird about us. One thing that Paul tells us that ought to be weird about us and that's that we follow Christ, which is a, a crazy thing to do. In, in a lot of ways, it's, it's counterintuitive or, or it's seemingly illogical. And that one thing makes us different or makes us crazy. But acting weird, just with no point to it, uh, is not a good thing. And so one of the things I like about this church is we really have the ability to start over and lay a clean foundation. A, a church plant... Um, is, is really built off of a clean foundation. 
It's not a house where there's an addition and there's an addition and there's an addition and there's an addition. And then you, have you ever walked into those houses and you look around and you're just like, whoa, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to any of this. Um, and so it's nice to be able to start up. And one of our commitments at Antioch, we have four commitments, but one of the things we're committed to is authentic spirituality. Authentic spirituality. The church at Antioch in the book of Acts, the, the, you know, the first church at Antioch, um, really had to work hard at that. How do we be normal to each other with different cultures going on? With Romans, with Greeks, with Jews, how do we all come together and be normal and live life together and not repel people because of weird idiosyncrasies? So we're going to uh, dive into a sermon this morning, and, uh, and hopefully you'll take it in the spirit that it's intended, but it's going to be called Let's Not Be Weird. And uh, before we do that, though, just because uh, I want to transition, and there's a beautiful song, and I thought it'd be great to put it right here. Ben and Megan are going to come up and sing for us. And uh, the ushers were going to take the offering during the video, but we moved that to the front. Um, so I think we're going to have to take the offering now, too, um, if they're in here. So bear with us. Thank you. I don't know. I mean, I had a drive this week, um, and I, I pray best when I'm driving. I don't know. I mean, I think everybody has their thing where they connect with God the best, you know. Um, and I had this drive this week and just was just pleading with God that, that, you know, the temptations with churches are so great to make it all about me or the church, and, and your job, if you come to this church, is, is to serve me or serve this church and, and make it grand, and you're up underneath this thing and pushing it up. I, I think that's the human temptation. It was what happened with the Pharisees, you know. Um, instead of serving the people and loving the people and shepherding the people, uh, it was all about them. And so as I was praying with God, I just was desperate and saying, God, I, I want for this church something so much better and so much higher then, then what's the human temptation? Um, I want the leaders, I want the people that are involved to be up under other people. Um, I say it a lot, I don't you know, know how, that, that instead of having like an organizational chart, I just have a picture in my mind of, of how this church should look. And it's me um, here and everybody in the church's butts about roof high. Um, and it's, this is my job, is just, is to push, and, you know, it's not in a bad sense of the picture, but just up above me, right? To empower, to lift up, to love, to serve, to whatever. And that's just what's, you know, I hear a song about the love of God. Um, and what's motivating this sermon is just seeing and talking to so many people that are burned out on church or burned out on Christianity or repelled by it all, and feeling like, man, there are so many things that are barriers to people knowing the love of God, and they're not essential. They're not barriers that ought to be there. It's, it's like the Pharisees that made it so hard um, for people to really know God or come to God. There, there's all the hoops and the rules and the, 
you know, everything else. And, and Christ was just wanting to come right up to people and say, um, here's God, and he loves you. And so what's motivating this sermon, and I hope you know that, is, is just a deep frustration with the, the things that, that keep people from knowing the joy of salvation that, that I, I know and that other people know, that we want others to know and to be able to share in. So here's, here we go. Let's not be weird. The first thing is this. We're weird when we are negative. We're weird when we are negative. I'll just read this one, and then I'm going to have you turn to Matthew 23. But I'll just read this out of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and human teachings. And what Paul is basically saying is, it's not all this wrangling of your body and your life and, and trying so hard to be miserable. Um, it's not in those rules. It's in knowing Christ. You've been saved by Christ, and that is the thing you cling to. That is the joy of your salvation. It's no longer trying to be super duty-bound or super religious or go out to a desert and live like a hermit um, and kind of be life-negating. That's not where your spirituality is going to come from. Let's turn to Matthew 23, verses 1 through 5, and we'll see a little bit more along these lines. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 5. This is Jesus talking, and he's getting frustrated with the religious leaders who uh, a group of them were called the Pharisees. And it says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. That means they're in authority. So you must obey to them, uh, obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They load you down. They make life heavy. They make, it's repressive. Um, and it's not good. And so Jesus tells us two things kind of going here. Is one, they're in authority. They're still in the circle of, of kind of the church or Christianity or, or God's people. And so show them the respect that you're, you're supposed to. That's your duty. But don't follow them because they've gone astray. What they're doing is not good. It's not right. They're negative. They're life-negating. They're heavy. Um, I did a study of Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche. And if you don't know Nietzsche, he's the, the German philosopher in the 1800s who famously proclaimed that God is dead and has probably had more impact than any other philosopher on the 20th century, um, just hands down. You go into Barnes & Noble Borders, it's like half the philosophy section is going to be books on Nietzsche. And so I did a study in seminary on Nietzsche. And, and what was amazing to me was his attack on Christianity was brutal. I mean, it was just unrelenting, this attack on Christianity. But I found there was a lot we could learn from it. 
And here's just a principle of life. You can learn a lot from your critics. I mean, you, you just can. Um, so don't argue with them or go right to being defensive. Hear what they have to say first because you can learn a lot from them. And here's something that Nietzsche said. One of the things he said, I would believe only in a God who could dance. And when I saw my devil, I found him serious, thorough, profound, and solemn. It was the spirit of gravity. Through him, all things fall. And it's just a little poetic way to to state his overall belief that Christians are life-negating. That God is this heavy God. That it's all duty-bound and morose. And so he reacted to the, the Lutheranism in his day, which was lifeless. And he said that all these people are just um, shutting down on life, and they're living for pie in the sky, and, and I want nothing to do with that. We should be light, his famous thing, you know, we should be life-affirming, not life-negating. And I think there's so many people out there that look at Christians and see us as life-negating, heavy, morose, and they are repelled by that, like Nietzsche, and they walk away. And when I see that, I can see what they're seeing, but I also go to, to the Bible, and I, I read that the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy, and that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full, and so many other things, and no, it's not negative. It's positive. It's life-affirming. It's, it's, it's about life that's actually better than anything we could come up with on our own, where we would go after things to satisfy our thirsts or our hungers or our desires. Christ says, come after me, and I can, I can satisfy it all. It's life-affirming. And so it's, it's kind of a crazy thing because I think religion can be a weapon. We can use religion, and this is what Nietzsche thought, to rein people in. When they're having a little too much fun or they are happier than we are, we don't like that. We don't, the tension between that person seems to have a, a bigger smile than I do, it, we don't like that. And so religion can be a weapon where we rein people in and try and weigh them down and bring them kind of our, to our level. Um, Againstness is addictive. Have you ever noticed that? Every time you're against someone or something, you're right. You've made yourself right. You've justified yourself. I'm against that. Who's right? Well, me. Who's wrong? Well, whatever that is. Againstness can be addictive. It's like a drug because you can just give it to yourself anytime you want. I need to feel good about myself. I'm against this. I'm right. I feel good. Um, And so. I I find these things to be right at the heart of the temptation for Christians to try and use our religion to somehow bring the world down instead of going to Christ and realizing we should be brought up. And so we're weird when we're negative. Um, There's a video, uh, Adam Sandler video um, called Click, and the guy's got a remote control to, to remote control his universe. And so he can fast forward, you know, he's got an argument going with his wife and he hits fast forward and goes through the whole argument. But there's one scene where he's sitting in the car and he starts playing with the hue. And and all of a sudden he goes like green and then he goes purple and he's just kind of having fun with it, right? Uh, You know, making himself the Incredible Hulk. And what I've realized is everybody has a basic hue to them. You, you, You have a basic 
coloring or outlook on life, and it's, it's either positive or negative, um, and we all think it's better than it really is. You know the statistic, right, that um, like 78% of people think they're happier than the average? You know, and uh, Kip will explain the math to you if you don't understand what's funny about that. Um, but we all think our hue, our basic kind of hue is positive. And a lot of times, brothers and sisters, um, fellow Christians, uh, our hue is negative. And that ought not be. Um, all of you without multiple kids under the age of five ought to have a positive hue. Um, <laughs> And uh, I struggle with this myself sometimes. But we're weird when we're negative. Okay? We're weird when we're negative. We're not supposed to tie up loads on people's backs. Matthew 23 here. Our job isn't to go make it heavier. I've never met somebody in my life that was saying, bring it on. I want my life to be heavier. Everyone I've ever met, even when they're, they're going through the best year of their life, would welcome help. We, I mean, it's so rare for someone to come up and say, I want to help you. You know, I mean, we're desperate for help, you know. And so why do we think that when everybody's so desperate for help that it's a good thing to come and just load up on them? You know, it's not. It's weird to be negative. No Grinch is allowed, Okay. Number two, it's weird when we try and control others. It is weird when we try and control others. Romans chapter 14, I think is a, a huge text for this. Romans chapter 14, and it says this, uh, beginning in verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only, only vegetables. And the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own, to his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand." It goes on, one man considers one day more sacred than another. This is pertinent to our whole Christmas discussion. One man considers one day more sacred than another, and another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. And he who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. And so here's the, the whole idea. Um, some of you are going to be convicted over here and have opinions over here. And some of you are going to be convicted and have opinions over here. And now comes the, the human side of this. We always try to universalize our convictions and our opinions. We take that little blanket and we try and stretch the corners so that it, it applies to everybody. So it's not just, I don't like Christmas, it's, no, no good Christian <laughs> should follow Christmas. And it's not just, um, I like Christmas, and every normal person ought to you know, do as I do and, and like Christmas. It's, you know what, this is where I stand, and I'm convinced in my own mind. And I'm going to have grace for, for whoever this other brother or sister is that doesn't quite agree with me on these things. And the main 
the main verse here is this. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So if I'm over here and, and I think Christmas is fun, um, lots of parties. Um, I like the music is actually my favorite part. Um, so whatever you like, you know, decorations. So I like Christmas. This person over here that doesn't like Christmas, they don't serve me. I am not over them. I don't have the right to try and control them. They are a servant to God, the master. Now, because I'm feeble and I'm small and I'm judgmental, I think this person's going to fall. You know, he's so weird or or not. uh, I'm sorry. Uh, This person is so different from me um, that that, you know, it's going to lead to a whole chain of events and how in the world can this person carry on and, and God obviously can't love this person. You know, I mean, if you had brothers or sisters, did you ever have that feeling? My parents cannot love my brother or sister, you know. Um, and we have that kind of a thing, like I can't see how this is going to go and listen to what happens. God is bigger than us. And he, this other person that, that views life differently than I do, he will stand. Even though I can't see it, even though I don't necessarily agree with it, this person will stand. Why? Because the Lord is able to make him stand. God is going to do a work with this person just like he's going to do a work with, this, with me over here. And so we need to not try and control um, each other. Mark chapter 2, if you'll turn there. Mark 2 says this, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are you you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them uh, very shrewdly, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus says this, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay, So what did David do? You're not supposed to eat bread that's been given over to God that's for the priests. And David and his guys are coming through, and they're hungry, and David takes it, and he breaks it, and he gives it to these guys. And Jesus is saying, don't you get that? God sets up some things, but those rules or those laws are meant to serve people. God cares more about us, people, than he does about the rules and the laws. Do you know that? And, you know, it's not, this is the bread for the priest, but you know what? These guys needed to eat. And just like that, yeah, the Sabbath is a day for rest, but my disciples have to eat. These rules were made to serve us, not us serve the rules. And so back off um, and care about the people. And so it's weird when we, like those Pharisees, try and come in and use rules to try and control people when the rules are meant to serve people. Does that make sense? I've got a dog, and if... We got it a year ago, and if you walked into my house right now, you'd think I was the grumpiest person ever, because if you have a dog, you know what I mean, a a disobedient dog, you know what I mean. Um, You yell, 
a lot. Because the dog doesn't do what you want it to do and it doesn't, doesn't understand English. So what do you, you raise your volume. And then you get that tone that makes your kids cry. Um, and then you're like, man, I hope no one from the church ever hears me, you know, or people driving by on the street. And, and you, we yell because we're trying to control this animal. And I think that's what we do with other people. We try to control people. And guess what? I, I shouldn't be controlling you. And you shouldn't be controlling me. And when we try, it doesn't quite work. And so what do we do? We kind of treat each other like animals. We start yelling a little louder or trying a little harder to control. And we're weird. We're weird when we try and do that. There was a, a girl in my, I was in this um, kind of AP, GT, whatever, like high school class. And there was a girl that whenever the test would come back, um, she'd go around, what'd you get, what'd you get? You remember this girl? You know, what'd you get, what'd you get? And you know why she's asking, because she got the A, okay? Um, don't be that girl, okay? Uh, just because you got a good thing going doesn't mean you need to be looking at everyone's tests and kind of judging them, okay? There was one person that had the right to judge us all, and he chose not to. Don't be that girl. We're weird, lastly, when we go on crusades. <laughs> We're weird when we go on crusades. You know, there's, I think Billy Graham's the only one that was able, ever able to make that word a positive word. The rest of history, like, it's always a negative word, right? It's strange. But we're weird when we go on crusades. When we put the cross on and we make ourselves, we baptize ourselves, you know, defenders of God and God's causes. There's a movie called The Apostle where Robert Duvall goes into this river and he baptizes himself. There's nobody else around. And he, you know, he takes water and dumps it on himself and he baptizes himself an apostle. Um, and that's the name of the movie, it's The Apostle. And we're weird when we dub ourselves the defenders of God. And here's the mistake. In the Old Testament, the kingdom of God was this land and this theocracy, and Joshua had to go in and wrestle it from the Amalekites, um, and, and that was the goal, right? And we see something really interesting happening in the New Testament. Jesus comes along and he says this, uh, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And a man goes and sells all he has to go and just have this one thing, okay? Um, we see, I think, the picture again when Jesus is about to be taken by force, the Messiah, the king in David's line, right? And Peter takes out the sword and he chops off the dude's ear and Jesus says, no, 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 and he put the sword down, Peter, put it away. This isn't a kingdom that's going to be taken by force. I could defend myself if I wanted to defend myself. That's not what this is about. This is about the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's an invisible kingdom. It's a kingdom where humility reigns and grace reigns and submission reigns and where we go to God and no matter what people do to our bodies, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we're strangers on this earth. It's a different kind of kingdom, Peter. It's a different kind of kingdom. And so the whole idea here is um, we don't need ear cutters in, in, in the church. Put the swords away, right? We don't need ear cutters that are going on crusade. We don't need our hands 
on the Amalekites necks. You know, uh, there are no Amalekites, okay? Take your hands off the necks. <laughs> um, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, we need to, in some sense, not be so heavy. G.K. Chesterton says this, angels fly because they take themselves lightly. I swear, I'm afraid to put a Santa in my house. I really am. I mean, I am afraid to put a Santa in my house because I think someone, someone is going to come into my house and start, I mean, just freaking out. And, and they're like on the cell phone calling the Christian police. And, and it literally keeps me from, from being master of my own household. I'm afraid to put a Santa in my own house. And we need to lighten up. And we need to not be on crusades. And here's the bottom line. The bottom line is this. We need to be all things to all people. Paul said this. I was a Greek to the Greeks. I was a Roman to the Romans. I was a Jew to the Jews. If I lived in Bend, I would be someone, um, I'd be like somebody in Bend. I honestly believe that's what Paul's trying to communicate. If I lived in Bend, I would be someone like Bend. You know, I'd skip church and go ski on Sunday because that's what you do in Bend, right? Um, I just don't do it a lot. Um, And so we're supposed to be like people. You know, it's it's the nature of love to bind things together. Do you know that? Have you ever noticed that? The more you... Don't love someone, what happens? You, you're repelled. The more you love someone, the more you're drawn. It's the nature of love to bind things together. And Jesus says, they will know you are my disciples by your love. That, very, that, that thing, that magical thing which binds you together. And so we need to not be repelling people by being weird. We need to love people and not judge people and, and offer to help them and lighten their loads and be normal and win them over. That's how we're going to win them over. I asked myself this question this week. I asked myself this question a lot. I, it's a riddle. So, I mean, I, I'm not looking for you guys to come up afterwards and pummel me. Um, but here's the question. Was Jesus religious? Was Jesus religious? Um, Whatever the answer to that question is, I think what it surfaces for me is that's not the right word to describe Jesus, is it? It doesn't feel right. Jesus came and said it's not about all those human trappings, wearing certain clothes and, and, you know, taking things for yourself and all this manipulation and comparisons and it's not, he came against that. And for Jesus, whatever you want to answer that whole question about whether Jesus was religious or not, for Jesus, it was about relationship. The primary thing Jesus was bringing was relationship. The main thing here is about a relationship with God. And the second thing here is about a relationship with people. And religion is a good thing insofar as it is used to serve those ends. When it serves a different ends or takes away from the love of God and the love of others, it's a bad thing. It's a weapon. And so I am excited about this church. It's, the, it's like the first church ever where 
um, two hours after I leave, like I could turn right around and come back. I mean, I honestly could. Um, and I hope and I pray that as we go through time, that one thing would be true of this church, that people would say it's not about religion for those people. It's, a, it's about relationship. It's about a relationship with God. It's about a relationship with others. And they love well. And if people say that about us, then I can stand tall. We can stand tall and say, you know what? We're disciples of Christ. Um, we're not weird in a bad way. Okay? Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, as we move into a, a time of worship right now, I just pray that you would take away from us all the desires that are false to puff ourselves up, to be lofty, to be prideful, to weigh others down. Uh, all the things that put us in control and bring disharmony. I just pray you would take those desires away from us. Father, help us not to be weird just because we're Christians. And I just pray that you would also help us to win other people over that have a stereotype, that have baggage, that are burned out on church, that are burned out on Christianity, that we'd be able to somehow pierce that fog with our love as we talk about you, as we live life um, with that joy. May we just somehow reach others and show them, hopefully, what Jesus showed people. May that burn into us as we sing to you now. In Christ's name.